Okay, we're continuing on in chapter 7, appropriation. Didn't get very far into it last week. I kind of went off in a, a lot of directions. I think that we're tied to this subject. Uh, I never really know what I'm going to say when I get up here. Uh, I, I'm not one that has everything rehearsed in advance. Uh, the... Uh, I do trust that the Lord brings to mind the things that He wants me to say. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I've often prepared notes for when I speak. I don't so much with this. I've been through these studies so many times. But I prepare notes, but I never want to get so tied to my notes uh, that the Lord can't lead me in another direction. Uh, but we're dealing with a, a pretty significant subject today. I uh, started it last week. And it's one that builds on the chapter that preceded it. And of course, in this book, everything is building uh, as you go along. I think uh, the Lord really um, guided Miles Stanford in, in putting this together in a, in a really an organized manner. Uh, where each chapter kind of builds on what went before it. And of course, the previous chapter focused on our completeness in Christ. And of course, uh, we do have uh, that uh, statement made by Paul that in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and that we are complete in Him. That... Everything that we need is found in Christ. You and I have been left lacking nothing. Everything we will ever need for time and eternity is already ours. Now, again, we look at our own lives and we look at our struggles and we think, you know, I don't feel real complete. I don't look real complete. But that does not change the reality that all these things are ours in Christ. And I pointed out in that chapter, you know, uh, you can have something, something can be yours, but if you don't know it, if you don't believe it, it really doesn't change anything. And for a lot of Christians, their view of salvation is that... You know, God paid for my sin debt, which He did. And now it makes it possible for me to uh, go to heaven when I die. And so, uh, uh, and, and you know, Christianity has often been accused as being a pie in the sky by and by. <laughs> it's all about something in the future. <laughs> That, uh, you know, we have this salvation and one day we're going to be in heaven and everything's going to be great. But we're kind of on our own till then. You know, uh, God wants us to do our best. Of course, you get all these crazy statements out there, you know. God helps those who helps, help themselves. No. God, you know, rescues those who who uh, are aware of their utter and complete need of His provision. He's not there to 
assist us along the way. We'll get to that in a later chapter. The help chapter. Where the first sentence always rocks a lot of people back when it says God didn't help you get saved. He doesn't intend to help you live the Christian life. He didn't help you get saved. He saved you. It wasn't you and him. It wasn't a partnership that got you saved. It was him. And he doesn't intend to help you live the Christian life. He wants to produce it in you. He wants, you know, to be the source of it. And we're going to, I'm getting ahead of myself, but uh, that's that's the problem when you've taught the whole book multiple times and you know what's coming down the road. Uh, Sometimes you, you tend to bring it in. But right now we're on the chapter on appropriation. And again, I only got through about a page of it, but I'll just run a quick review. Um, you know, we pointed out appropriation does not necessarily mean to gain something new, but to set aside for our practical possession something that already belongs to us. And so, you know, we are complete in Christ. Appropriation isn't about you and me getting anything else. It's about us learning to take hold of and utilize what has been ours since the very moment we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what appropriation is all about. And so, you know, we saw appropriation doesn't necessarily mean to gain something new. But, you know, to grab hold of this... To take hold of something that belongs to us. And we saw that there are two essentials of appropriation. The first is to see what is already ours in Christ. You can't appropriate what you don't know you have. And so the first essential is to see in Scripture what is ours. And and the epistles are full of truths of who we are and what we have in Christ. Starting in Romans and going through Jude, we have those letters written by Christ through the apostles to the church. And in them is spelled out over and over again what we have. In Ephesians, 32 times he talks about things that are true of us in Christ. In the New Testament epistles, over a hundred times he talks about things that are true because we are in Christ. And so, we have to come to see what is ours in Christ. And... That does require studying the scriptures. You aren't just going to learn those things without spending time in the Word. But, you know, I think we need to go to the Word with the intention of getting to know Christ and getting to understand what He has provided. A lot of times, we go to the Word trying to figure out how to fix our life. 
And what we're trying to do is fix our old Adamic nature, which is futile. We need to come to see who we are and what we have in Christ. We need to come to discover this new life that became ours at the moment of salvation. So the first essential is to see what is already ours. The second essential is to be aware of our need of it. We are not going to appropriate anything that we don't see the need of. And that's where... God is going to not only allow certain needs to come along, He's going to orchestrate them. He's going to bring into our lives things that show us how desperately we need His provision. How desperately we need what what He has provided in Christ. And He uses all sorts of things to teach us that. To make us aware of that. It can be our finances. It can be our job. It can be our marriage. You know, it can be any number of things that God uses. And it won't just be one thing. We talked about this last week. You know, God is wanting us to appropriate His provision in every area of our life. But thankfully, he generally only works on one or two at a time. Because if he took on everything in our life at one time, we would, we would be so overwhelmed by our need. So he takes it little by little, one thing at a time, but he shows us the need. And, you know, this is... Uh, seen in the, uh, you know, Paul's writings, where, you know, Paul starts out by, uh, developing this first essential. You know, in Ephesians, we see this. He spends the first three chapters showing us who we are and what we have in Christ. And only then, Only when he has done that does he begin to call upon us uh, to walk as those who have all these things. To appropriate the provisions that have been spelled out in the first three chapters. And that's not unique to Ephesians. I said you see the same thing in Romans. Spends 11 chapters before he gets to chapter 12 where he says I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable which is your reasonable act of service it's reasonable because of what he's just told us in the first 11 chapters but many jump to chapter 12 verse 1 and ignore the first 11 chapters and they, they jump over there and, you know, here's where it's telling us how to live. We need to get to that. No. You have to see what you have first. And then, as the needs arise, these things can be worked into your life. So he's, 
you know, we saw, he says, let us cease laying down to the saints' long list of conditions of entering into the blessed life in Christ. And instead, as the primal preparation for leading them into the experience of this life, show them what their position, possessions, and privileges in Christ already are. He said, let's not start with laying down a whole bunch of rules and regulations for somebody to live by. Let's start out by telling them, you know, who they are, their position. Telling them what they have, their possessions. Telling them the privileges that are theirs in Christ. And he said, thus we shall truly work with the Holy Spirit, and thus we shall have much more abiding fruit of our labors among the peoples of God. And I think that's an incredibly true statement. The Holy Spirit is not working through a law system. And when we try to use a law system to bring people along in their Christian life, we are not working with the Holy Spirit. What was the Spirit's ministry to be? Christ said in the upper room when he talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit, he said, he will take what is mine and make it known unto you. He said, that's the Spirit's coming ministry. To take those things that are Christ and make them known unto us. And so, if we want to be cooperating with the Holy Spirit, what do we need to be doing as we minister to others? We need to be showing them those things that are Christ and how they now are ours in Him. That's where we begin to see fruit in our ministry. Yeah. Y'all, yesterday I got a... I was texting back and forth with one of our Irish women we used to uh, answer in Ireland. And, um, oh, sorry, I get so mad because I cry when I talk. But uh, her name's Emily. We call her our Irish Emily. And she uh, wrote to me, she was saying, you know, James, for all these years, we've been gone from there for 20 years. I'm just saying what is said here is so true. And she said, I have a friend, her name's Claire from West Iron, the west side of the island, and she's come and she's moving here, and I think I'm going to try to take her through grief And she said, all those years ago, still, these truths changed my life. And they're still walking with the Lord. Nothing to do with us. It's the power and the presence of God as they realize this the position of possessions they have in Christ and they're theirs when we left we left but that stayed and they we just keep hearing these things of them having opportunities and doesn't have to be great letters I just want to teach the word but I'm just saying it has mm. been so encouraging that after them learning these truths, they have walked on. If they struggle, sure, she writes me stuff. Sometimes they go pray for me. You know, she'll be kind of a mess about something, like we all get into. Mm. And um, 
But I just wanted to encourage you that this is so true and we've seen it over and over. Students that write us and say, I'm still learning and walking in those truths that changed everything for me. Changed the way I see myself. Changed the way I would dare minister to people. It just, God's way is right. And it's thorough. And it's eternal. Yeah. And I just have been kind of walking around the clouds mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. heard from, from our Irish Emily and just seeing God do what He does. You know, if we learn the truth, the abiding fruit, that's what it is. Yeah. And it remains. Yeah. Now he says here, you know, once we see what is ours in Christ Jesus, practical need <clears throat> will cause us to appropriate, to receive uh, the answer to, to that need. And again, this is where, you know, the second element came in. We have to see our need. And so once we begin to learn based on the scriptures, who we are and what we have in Christ needs in our day-to-day lives are going to bring us to the place of wanting to take hold of and to experience those things. And so he says, life is meant to bring a succession of discoveries of our need of Christ. And with every such discovery, the way is open for a new inflow of the supply. Your life, my life, is going to have a a succession of discoveries of need. You may have discovered your need in certain areas already. And but as you grow in the Lord, as you go on, you're going to see in more and more areas your need. think probably the hardest area for many of us is in our areas of strength. The areas that we feel we can do well. God has got to bring us to a place where we see even there we need Him. Our weaknesses, we recognize more quickly. When I used to be at FOA and ministering to the man there, I used to tell him, I say, your strengths are going to be your really your greatest weakness. Because your strengths are what will cause you to take your eyes off the Lord. Your weaknesses are what will bring you back to Him. But every area of your life that you think you can handle will become a problem. And over time, God's going to teach you that. He's going to have to let you fail in those areas that you have always felt you were good at. And bring you to that point where you say, Lord, I even need you in this area. 
And so he says, and I think that's about where we left off last week, if I'm remembering correctly, somewhere around there. He says, this is the explanation of so much we cannot under, uh, otherwise understand. This plunging of us into new tests where only a fresh supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ will meet our need. And as our need is met, we prove the sufficiency of Christ to meet our inward need. So there can be a new showing forth of His glory through us. And let's face it. You know... Our new life, our new life is the life that flows from Christ himself. And if it is being shown forth, it is his glory that's being seen. The old man wants his own glory. Our new life in Christ desires his glory to be seen. Now, He says, these two realities of seeing and needing bring us, move us forward, from childish meandering all over the place in our Christian life into a responsible, specific walk of faith. I walk by faith in what God has said. It's not, I try this and I try that. That's where we talk about meandering. So many Christians are out there and they're going to try this for a while and it doesn't work. So they try that for a while and then they try something else. And there's all this, you know, trying this, trying that. But as we come to see what we have and we come to see our need of it, we begin to walk in steady faith. And faith is what? We talked about it in chapter 1. It's not just believing something out there, hoping it'll be true. Faith is taking God at His word. Do you believe that you are complete in Christ? Not because you feel it. Not because you look it. But because God said it. Do you take him at his word? Do you believe that you have been set free from your bondage to sin? Not because you no longer struggle with it or this or that, but because God said it. Somebody the other day, a friend or something, I think was saying, you know, they had heard made, uh, they had read this statement. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. They said that's not really an accurate statement. It's God said it, that settles it. (laughs) My belief isn't involved in what settles it, you know. (laughs) God said it, that settles it. And because God said it and that settles it, I believe it. <laughs> and so, you know, as we come to, to experience these two realities, it says they take us from the help me attitude 
to that of giving thanks. Instead of, Lord, help me have victory. I give thanks, Lord. I, I thank you that Christ has been victorious, even in this area. Help me. It takes me from, help me be stronger, Lord, till I, to thank you, Lord, that I have the very strength of, of Christ's provision at my disposal. He says it takes us from begging to appropriating. A lot of Christians are begging for things that are already theirs. A lot of prayers are offered up for things that are already ours. And God's probably sitting up there saying, I already gave it to you. Why don't you use it? Why don't you appropriate it? Why do you keep begging me for something that's in your salvation package? He says, notice what L.L. Lettiger's co-founder of Whitcliffe Bible Translators has to say about this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1, verse 3. If you run over in your mind and find one single blessing with which God might bless us today, with which he has not already blessed us, then what he told Paul was not true at all. Because he said, God hath. It is all done. It is finished. God hath blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. The great pity of all this is that we are saying, Oh God, bless us. Bless us in this. Bless us in that. And it is all done. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. As C.A. Coates said, it's appropriation that tests us how often we stop with admiration. Now again, there are certain material blessings, physical blessings that God still bestows upon us. But in the spiritual realm, every spiritual blessing that we could ever possess is already ours. There's not one that is lacking. Now, he goes on, he says, From time to time the Holy Spirit will bring to our attention a certain aspect of the word in a striking manner, and we'll rejoice to see and believe that it is ours in Christ. And he cites an example. He says, it may be, for instance, the truth of Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, you know, we see that. And we rejoice about it. And he says, besides the usual personal situations, which are unique to each of us, he says, the uncertainty, strife, and tensions of the world conditions, which are many right now, provide just what is needed for the believer to abide. 
To rest in the Lord Jesus. The need exists and when he sees the rest in him, all there remains to do is to appropriate. So we've seen this statement that, you know, Christ desires to give us rest. That when we're heavy laden, there is rest in him. And, you know, we believe it. And he says, so far, so good. The believer sees what he possesses in Christ. And need enables him to reach out and confidently appropriate and accept that required rest. But he says, this appropriation must be a case of clear scriptural specific trust. Again, faith has facts. We need to be able to look to the scriptures and see what it says. We are not to ask amiss. But then he says, and now comes the critical phase. The key to it all. In most instances of appropriation, there is a waiting period between acceptance and receiving, often years. You know, we often want to think of God kind of like the fairy godmother in a Disney movie or something who, you know, we come to something and and we give him, you know, our wish or something and he waves his magic wand and says, bippity-boppity-boo, and it's true. God doesn't work that way. And so we see what is ours. And we see our need of it. And our desire is to have it become part of our daily experience. But there is time involved. And he says what? Our responsibility is to patiently wait on him during the time necessary for him to work into our character, our life, that which... We have appropriated in Christ. In this instance, his rest, steadiness, assurance, security. Going back to that passage we read. A God who acts in behalf of the ones who wait for him. Again, we are to continue to put forth faith. In what he has said. And trust that God is the one that is going to make this real in our lives. Yeah, just. Okay, I, I wanted to ask this last week. And I read the chapter again. And it's still with us. <laughs> uh, I guess it's kind of technical. How does the appropriation piece work? So, the way I thought of it. In James he says, If you lack wisdom, ask God. And then... But believe and not doubt. Yeah. So is it, Lord, I asked you for wisdom, and now I'm going to trust that you gave me wisdom to make the decision? Like, I've been thinking about this for leadership. Like, I'm in a new role in my job, and I want to be a leader, and I know, Jesus, you're the perfect leader, and I have the mind of Christ. But how does that get to me in the decision? Yeah. Well, and it. it... <laughs> 
It may be that just on the spot he gives you the wisdom, but it may be, too, that he starts you down the process that's going to develop that wisdom. And oftentimes, we, we want the answer right then and there. And God is going to work through our lives and, and make these things uh, experientially uh, true. And our responsibility is to continue to put our confidence in Him through faith. And just realize, okay, Lord, I've, I've asked you for wisdom. I'm going to trust that, you know, you are going to develop that wisdom in me. And, you know, it may not come instantly and you say, well, man, that doesn't help me right now. What if I make the wrong, wrong decision? God will still work. And he'll use the wrong decision in developing your wisdom uh, in the days ahead. I know I had a dear friend in Ireland and he was offered a job in England that was a substantial raise in salary. But it was going to require that he was going to have to move to England. And his family was going to be back in Ireland. And he was going to get to come home every other weekend and... You know, I, I told him, I said, I really don't think this is a good move. And he, but he, he decided it was uh, good and he made the decision to do it. And, you know, it was a one-year commitment. And six months into it, I mean, it, it, very early on, it, it just didn't, turned out it wasn't what he thought it would be. And six months into it, God got him out of the contract. Uh, but we were working on a project one day and he said, Rick, you know, I think I, I, well, I'm convinced I made the wrong decision going to England, but he said it has given me a lot of freedom in my decisions because what I learned is that God worked anyhow. And that even though I made the wrong decision, he taught me a lot in that. And he worked through it and he said, you know, I didn't, it didn't mess God up, basically. Now, none of us want to go out and do something that God has pretty clearly shown us not to do it. You know, to, to just ignore Him and go ahead and do it is, uh, is just asking for trouble. But the reality is that, you know, if it's within biblical principles and and we uh, believe that the decision we're making is right we don't have to be paralyzed because God is going to work and if we make the wrong decision God's going to use it to teach us things and 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 as long as our heart is toward him and our confidence is in Him. He's going to use whatever comes along. And that's when my friend said, man, it's given me such freedom in decision making. Because he said, for a long time I was always, it was this kind of idea that if I make the wrong decision, just how bad that's going to be. And now he said, I don't want to make the wrong decision, but I have confidence in what God can do. And so, 
you know, with this appropriation. Yes, we, we, you give the example of wisdom. We can ask wisdom and we can have confidence that God is going to develop that wisdom. It might not be magically handed to us right then, but we move forward. And, and He may use what we're going through right then to grow and develop that wisdom. But He will do it. If we want to have His wisdom, He will grow us in that wisdom. But He'll do it through the, the various things He takes us through as we move forward in life. He says, you know, every bit of truth we receive, if we receive it lovingly from Him, will take us into conflict and will be established through conflict. I think I kind of jumped ahead there. Yeah. But basically, we already have the wisdom. It's just being appropriated to us. Yeah, I mean, we have the mind of Christ as, uh, you know, part of God's provision, but we've got to learn to appropriate it because, uh, and, and the provision is there for it, but again, we've got to. God has got to develop that. We've got to learn to live over here and draw from, from, uh, uh, you know, the experiences He takes us through. And even this, you know, I point out to people, our new nature is something we gain in an infant stage. We, the day we got saved, we weren't omniscient. <laughs> Never will be. But, uh, But I mean, it wasn't like we did not uh, receive that new life in a mature form. And so it's got to grow. It's got to develop. The provisions are all there. The potential is all there. But we've got to grow. And whether it's wisdom, whether it's in the realm of victory, whether it's in the realm of freedom, these are all things that we have to grow in as we develop. This statement I just put up, I kind of skipped the uh, 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 sentence before. It says, T. Austin Sparks gives us two valuable thoughts regarding this all-important gap, usually a matter of years, between the actual appropriation and the practical experience. Every bit of truth we receive, if we receive it lovingly, will take us into conflict and will be established through conflict. It will be worthless if there has not been a battle over it. And I think that's important. God knows that if He handed us things just on a silver platter, we would not value them. It's the battle that makes them important. Take any position the Lord calls you to take, and if you're taking it with Him, you're going through things in it, and there will be an element added by reason of the battle. You have taken a position, yes, but you have not really got it yet. The real value of it has to be proved. 
Because he says, you have not come to into the real significance of it until there has been some sore conflict in relation to it. God, again, if you go back to chapter 2, time, uh, God is working from eternity and for eternity. And God is trying to develop in us something that is very real. And that which is very real generally is developed through conflict. There's going to be these difficulties we go through. And over time, through those, God is going to develop the things we are appropriating. You know, we see in Scripture the freedom that is ours in Christ. And... You know, we desire that freedom. (laughs) And we want to reach out and by faith take hold of that freedom. But what happens a lot of times, we end up in a lot of battles. A lot of temptations. A lot of things that God uses. And over time, He brings us into the realm of that freedom. And when we experience it, we value it. Whatever we have gained at the end of this battle, we value. And God wants us to value it. Now, we didn't get through the chapter. (laughs) We will finish it up next week, and it may not take the, the whole time. The next chapter is kind of a unique chapter, and we could move into it. If we, if we have time next week, uh, looking at identification, it's more of a chapter of just a lot of testimonial statements, as it were, by men and women that the Lord has really used over the years, speaking about how it was coming to see themselves identified with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection that really became a turning point, not simply in their lives, but in their ministries. And, uh, you know, a lot of them were in ministry for many years before they really came to, to understand uh, their identification with Christ. And it changed everything when they did. So we'll get into that in the next chapter, but we'll have a little bit of time first and finish up this chapter. And then we'll, uh, if time permits, we'll move into it. Any other? Oh, we're about out of time. Uh, if there's questions, I'll be around afterwards. Feel free to ask. Let me close in prayer. Lord, we do thank you now just for this time. Can we thank you for the riches of your grace? Lord, how the salvation you've provided has taken everything into account. Lord, may we grow in our knowledge and understanding of what it means to be in Christ. What it means to abide in him. And Lord, that as we abide in him, may his fruit be produced in and through us. For it's in his precious name we pray. Amen.